Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. We look forward this week to having many guests, hundreds of guests. And uh, we look forward to Vacation Bible School. It will begin in the morning and run through Thursday. We do have Vacation Bible School for children all the way up to the age of seniors in high school. So be sure and make your plans uh, to be here and be a part of a tremendous time of exalting God and planting seeds. I really believe that Vacation Bible School does immediate good, but also I believe that there is a level of good that we probably will not see from this year's Vacation Bible School for maybe 15 or 20 years. Uh, we are planting seeds this week. We are striving to instill in the life of children a love for Jesus Christ. Let's continue, as already this morning, to be prayerful about this, and let's continue to uh, encourage and support and be a part of this in every way that we can. One little boy was taught at Vacation Bible School that man came from dust. His mother overheard him praying at night, and he said, Lord, thank you for making Daddy as cool as you did. He doesn't look like dirt at all. When we think about a child trying to come to understanding, some of the things that you and I may understand very, very well, but they are just now starting to grasp these biblical teachings, the concepts, and most of all, striving to grasp a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we think about youth, oftentimes we think about youth in the state of they're on hold for a while. It won't be until later on in life that, that their life is really, really important and that, quote, the big decisions come along. I'd like to challenge that this morning, and I'd like for you and I to look at Josiah. If you will, be open your Bibles to Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter. In Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter, we have a powerful teaching about a young man. This is a part of our daily Bible reading as of yesterday, and so many of you will have already read this. But notice as we read Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter, I'd like for you to notice Josiah here in verse 1. Now, coming out of the 33rd chapter, we read that Josiah had a grandfather named Manasseh and his father Ammon, and they were both very, very wicked. They both uh, built <clears throat> idols, and, and idolatry was spread throughout Judea. As a matter of fact, they even made common the practice of offering child sacrifices. And so Judah had really gone completely away from the Almighty God. And then here comes this young man, Josiah, because his father, Ammon, was, uh, he was murdered when, he, when Josiah was only eight years old. And so let's read this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Notice this. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. This morning, that makes me stop and ponder as I studied this passage this week. How is it that a man that comes from this kind of grandfather and this kind of father, how is it that this man at the eight years of age and, and moving into the next verse, 16 years of age, how is it that between these eight years that he becomes a man so dedicated? Notice the passage again. He wouldn't turn to the right hand or to the left hand away from God. What do you think was the influence in his life? 
Number one, I'd like to offer to you that it might have been his mother. If you have your Bibles open, turn back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we have a record again of the same. As you're reading through, you notice that many of the stories are recorded both in Kings and Chronicles. And this is an example where we get one little bit of insight in Kings that we didn't get in Chronicles. Notice as we read 2 uh, 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter, verse 1, as it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adai of Bozakath. Now, think about this. Here he is, eight years old. What are most eight-year-olds doing? Well, when we see most eight-year-olds today, we see individuals that we think about going into third grade. We see them concerned about toys. We see them enjoying playing. And yet here's a young man at eight years of old. He becomes a king. No doubt during his early years, he had individuals that would surround him in his leadership. But it should be noted that his mother's name, his mother's name, Jedidah, means God's darling. It seems from her name that here is a woman, although she was married to a man that was very much in favor of idolatry, she seems to be one that was very committed, at least by the definition of her name, one very committed to God. And friends, what I offer to you is that there had to be someone in his life that pointed him toward God. The reason I emphasize that is for this reason. Let me give you a quick rundown of his life as you think about it from 2 Chronicles, the 34th chapter. We see him become a king at 8 years of age. At 16 years of age, he has made a commitment that he is going to follow God and not idolatry. By 20 years of age, he now is convicted of the fact that he ought to lead Judah in that direction also. In other words, it's not, hey, I'm going to do the right thing. It's I have a responsibility. 20 years of age, I have a responsibility to lead all of Judah in this direction. And he began to purge Judah of the idolatry and and the idolatrous worshipers. It wasn't. now, Now get this. You get this in order. Now get this. It wasn't until he was 26 years old in reforming the temple that he found the law. Does something click in your mind with that? Now, wait a minute. How did he know to be set upon God? How did he know that idolatry was wrong? How did he know that idolatry ought to be purged from his nation if he did not find the law until he was 26 years old? That's why I believe as we study his story, we have to place a strong emphasis upon the people in his life who instilled in him a love for God. Mothers, I want to ask you, are you God's darling? Does God look down upon you and say, this is my daughter. She loves me so much. We have such a close relationship. We think of the many children today in America that are raised by their mother. And then we think of many more that even though their father may be at home, their father is not in their life spiritually. It's passages like this that ought to be a great encouragement to those mothers that are in that situation. Here is a mother that could honestly say, my son's father worked completely against what I believed and what I wanted my son to become. His grandfather was even worse than him. But yet, what did he do? He became God's darling of a king. If you still have your Bible open there, you see on the 23rd chapter in verse 25 of 2 Kings, 
Notice the 23rd chapter, verse 25. This is a summary of his life. Now before him, this is talking about Josiah. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might, according to all that the law of Moses, not after him did any arise like him. Lord, tell us about your king Josiah. And you can imagine God smiling and saying, Oh, he was my darling of a king. There was no king like him before. The way he had a heart and a passion to serve me and to obey the law, there was no king after him like that. Where does a darling king come from like that, God? A mother who was a darling mother. As parents, we all need to be challenged to instill in our children a desire to serve God. I want to emphasize that word desire. If a relationship with God to you is not special, is not beautiful, is not positive, is not the very depth of your heart, you're going to have a hard time raising children and grandchildren that have the desire to serve a God that you're not very excited about. If you have no zeal and no desire, if you could care less if you are the darling of God, it won't be because of you that your children grow to be zealous in God's kingdom. We don't have a slide for this. If you want to drop over to 2 Timothy, I'd like to read to you a passage that you know very well. 2 Timothy, the first chapter... Verse 5 is another example of a mother who had a husband at home, but yet apparently he was no support at all in raising the child. And notice how this child grew, of course, to be Timothy that we know in the Scriptures. Timothy was a friend to Paul in such a way that at one point Paul said, I have no other friend like him. When Paul had to leave places because of persecution, but yet he knew that those churches needed further encouragement, he would send Timothy back because he trusted Timothy. He knew the faith of Timothy, and he knew the commitment of Timothy to continue working with those people. And notice how Paul refers to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Josiah, you're eight years old. It goes against your father and your grandfather. Where did you get this idea of following God, not going to the left, not going to the right? My mother was a darling of God. Timothy, how in the world did you grow with such great faith when apparently your father was no support at all to you? How did you grow with such great faith? And he said, I had a stepping stone. I was able to begin my faith. I was able to step up in my faith because of my grandmother's faith and because of my mother's faith. We all need people that are strong influences in our life. Vacation Bible School is a wonderful way to place a stepping stone in a young person's life to let them see that we love God and that we love serving God so that we can plant a seed of desire in their life so that they understand, I like these people. These people love God. I want to be like these people. 
Are we planting that desire? In our homes, are we planting that desire? And even in our church family, are we planting that desire? But notice second, it's impossible for us to offer our faith as a stepping stone if our faith is not what it ought to be. You see, then it becomes a stumbling stone instead of a stepping stone. Can I say right now, I hope that my children have the level of commitment that I have to God. That's not boasting on yourself. It's simply saying, I am wholly dedicated to God and I want my children to have that same level of dedication. We're not saying, I want my children to have my same abilities. I want my children to have the same opportunities in life. We're talking about our level of commitment, our faithfulness. Can you be comfortable with that thought today? I want my children to have the same level of commitment that I have. Here we are about to invite hundreds of kids into vacation Bible school. Am I comfortable having that prayer, having that desire? I want the children that I come in contact with this week, I want them to have the same level of commitment. Paul, why do you think Timothy did so well? And Paul would say he had the same kind of faith that his mother had. That's why he did so well. But I'd like to share with you a second, and that is if you'll be turning to Zephaniah. Zephaniah, it's toward the end of your Old Testament. Just go uh, to the very end of the Old Testament and back up about three books. And we come to this little short writing by the prophet Zephaniah. Now, what is interesting as we go through our daily Bible reading, you have to keep in mind that the last half of the Old Testament that deals with the prophets come back and they're interspersed in the time periods that we're reading about. I believe that probably Josiah was heavily influenced by the teachings of Zephaniah. Because you see, he was a prophet. As a matter of fact, this isn't on the screen here, but if you have your Bible open to the very first chapter, if you'll notice the very first sentence of Zephaniah 1, he talks about this last uh, phrase in this sentence says, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. You see, the events taking place here would have taken place at the time that he would have become king. So here's a man that because his father and his grandfather had led the nation so far away from God, he didn't even know the law. The people around him did not even know the law. But yet, he starts hearing this prophet. Notice some of the things the prophet would say. I'd like for us to just look at two different passages here in Zephaniah. Look at the first chapter in verse 4. He's, he's talking about how God is going to bring punishment upon the nation, and this is why. I'll stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'll cut off every trace of Baal. See, that's the idolatrous worship from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. <clears throat> the host of heaven there is talking about the stars. It's not talking about worshiping God on the housetop. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. Here's a young man. I, I bear in mind now, at eight years old, and by the time he gets to be 16 years old, something has clicked in his mind to not be like his father. Do you think it was teaching like this? Wait a minute, Zephaniah. Tell me about this again. You say that there's a God in heaven who's not an idol? That's right. 
You say that he's against idolatry? That's right. You say that he is going to destroy our nation if we don't turn to him? That's right. You say that we have to destroy the idols. Yes, you say that we have to stop being idolatrous worshipers. And look at verse 6. You say that we have to start seeking him. See how that lines up with what we just read about Josiah in the Chronicles and Kings? Who was little Josiah? He was a man who sought God and would not turn to the right or to the left. How did this come about? I believe it could have come about because of a good mother. I believe it also could have come about because there was a teacher, a prophet in his life who spoke very clearly and plainly the will of God. Just to see one more example of this. Look at the third chapter. In the third chapter of Zephaniah, let's read verse 1 through 4 and just imagine again this young boy hearing teachings like this and trying to put all this together in his mind about, am I really going to turn my back on on the ways of my, my father? Or am I going to turn to the Almighty God that I keep hearing about? Here's how verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 begins. Woe to her. This is, again, talking about the her is, is the wickedness of Jerusalem. So here's Jerusalem. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Now here's what she has done. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone to mourning. You see, he's painting pictures of animals that devour other animals. And he's saying, this is what our leaders in Jerusalem are doing right now. They are destroying the other people in Jerusalem because of their teachings. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Friends, What is it that we owe to our youth? In Romans, the 11th chapter, I think we owe to our youth what we owe to everybody. And that is, as a preacher and as a teacher, we have the responsibility in Romans 11, 22 to help them see the God who is a God of goodness and who also is a God of severity. In 22, he says, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail, severity. But toward you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. I'd like for you to notice the first two words here. Therefore, consider. Paul is teaching not only of the goodness and severity of God, but he's saying we all need to slow down right here for a moment, and you just need to consider this. You need to think about this. Josiah, young king, what do you need to hear? You need to hear about a good God, but you also need to hear about a severe God that will destroy a nation that stops following Him. What do our people need to hear today? Friends, it doesn't matter if it's a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, or a 52-year-old, or an 86-year-old. It doesn't matter. We all need to hear about a good God that loves us, sent His Son to die for us, offers His grace for us. But we also need to hear about the severity of that same God. How is it that we raise an eight-year-old to set his mind on the Lord and say, I'm not going to go to the right and I'm not going to go to the left? Well, when we read the teachings of Zephaniah, it becomes pretty clear. Zephaniah spoke about the goodness of God as well as the severity of God. 
with this in mind, I'd like for you to think about as you be turning to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, we see that when youth are influenced in the right direction, they can become a great influence upon others. In 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, Paul offered to his young companion Timothy in verse 11, these things command and teach, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And we could continue reading on about neglect not the gift. But do you hear what Paul is telling the younger man, Timothy, there? He's telling him, if others despise your youth, you don't despise it. Let that sink in for a moment. This is written by the inspiration of God. God is saying... Sometimes people don't believe that youth can be all that they need to be. Sometimes people don't believe that youth can be wholly committed. Sometimes people do not believe that youth can be the example to make a difference, not only among their peers, but even those older than them. We're going to start wrapping this lesson up. Give me three or four minutes, but here is the, the, here is the hook. Here is the punch that, that I hope challenges every one of us. Do I think like the world or do I think like the Lord? Do I believe that who may reach the most souls in Mount Juliet, Tennessee may be one of our teenagers and it may be in the next few years? Somebody, That's just not possible. Have you read the Bible? Who's going to be the one that does the greatest good to serve in benevolence needs? Someone says, well, it's probably going to be somebody older and experienced. Have you read the Bible? Who's going to be that strong, faithful Christian that people can look up to and say, I really gain a lot of encouragement by being around them. Oh, that's going to have to be an older person. Have you read the Bible? Israel was going to die in a famine. But God found a man that he could use. The man was only 17 years old. And when he was sold into Egyptian slavery, he would not leave his God for anything. Israel needed deliverance from the Philistines. All the big men were cowering down. God needed someone... And it was a boy so young that when David stood before Saul, Saul actually used the words, but you are a youth. But he reminded him that he was a youth standing on the side of God. Solomon was going to become a king and become one of the greatest kings that lived. And when he became a king, he said a prayer And he addressed God by saying he needed his wisdom because he was but a child. Josiah, God said, I've had no other king before him or after him. And he changed the world of his day in his teens and by 20 years old. Jeremiah is considered one of the greatest prophets to ever live. And when he became a prophet, or at least was asked by God to become a prophet. In Jeremiah, the first chapter, his response is, I can't, I'm but a child. And God told him he could use him in his youth to not be afraid. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken from their home over to Babylon, 
and they served God. As a matter of fact, Daniel 1 says they purposed in his heart, Daniel did, to not leave God, to serve God. We estimate that they were between 12 and 15 years of age and Daniel would have become an advisor to the king by the time he was probably 18 years old. And probably nobody had the effect on a nation the way Daniel did in his time. When God wanted to send his son to the earth, out of all the mothers who were older and much more experienced, God believed in a young woman, the youngest of women, who was pure, who was wholly dedicated, and he used her to accomplish one of the greatest works that a woman has ever accomplished on this earth. When Paul needed someone to go and do his heavy work, he sent the young man Timothy and told him, don't let anybody despise your youth. This morning, I ask you, how are you going to look at this week? We're going to have in our midst some of the most important people in this city of Mount Juliet. We're going to have in our midst some of the people that have the greatest potential on earth. And let's do everything we can do to point them toward God, to give them a desire to serve God, to give them a knowledge of God. Let's raise up Josiah types. Are you a Christian? Have you been baptized into Christ? If not... Would you be this morning? Are you a believer willing to turn away from sins and confess before others? We'd love to assist you being baptized into Christ. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and along the way you've lost the way. It doesn't matter if we're young or if we're middle-aged or if we're older. God has a place for us in His heart. He has a place for us in His church family. He has a place reserved for us in heaven if we'll just become His. Friends, let's be God's children. Because God has always favored children. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.